Yo, it's Trav and Bias back with you again on the Sports Bag Bros podcast, our 22nd episode. 22 episodes have been made of the Sports Bag Bros podcast, and we've talked about a litany of sports along the way. This time around, lucky number 22, if not unlucky, 22 will lead us will lead us to our first live stream so if you want to join us on our first live stream we're going to be talking college football because you saw the thumbnail and that thumbnail said that we will be talking college football we want to know who do you think is the best team of all time we want to know which players you might think are the best of all time we're not talking about just today if you want to we can do that because college football is around the corner but we want to hear from you when it comes to college football. If you don't come, we have other things to talk about. So don't think you can stand us up. But before you stand <laughs> any of us up, Bias, what's up? What's up, YouTube? What's up, Spotify, iHeart, Apple Podcast? Um, hope everybody's doing well. Hopefully we get some followers in here, interact with us, uh, give us some suggestions, things you want to talk about or hear us talk about. If you like what we're saying or don't say, you know, bring it. And that's the truth. This is the time for you to finally do it. The previous 21 shows have been shows that were recorded. You could not give your input. The only way you could input is if you went to the comments and you input there. And you're not doing that as well. So what's the difference? So come here now. We can interact with you, not just being argumentative. We don't want to be argumentative unless you're being argumentative. <laughs> we just want to have a show going to where we can have the conversation as we've always said with this channel, we want to have the conversation. And today's conversation is going to be college football. College football, come on. We're not just talking about this season, upcoming season, college football in general. Because I know a lot of you love your college football. I've made some posts in several college football groups. And you all have responded with blasts from the past and players and anecdotes of your own you wanted to talk about. So let's go ahead and just start. And you're always welcome to come in, leave a comment, interact, as we've said, and we can just have this conversation. We have a lot more to talk about as well. But right now, it's college football. Bias, we already see the Huskers shirt. We already know what it is. But who do you think is the best college football team in your opinion? But the stipulation is I can't list my team and you can't list yours, right? You know what? Right now, you can list your team. I can list my team because there's other questions later on. Which teams will you like? do you like without being a fan of? I mean, you know, college football is huge. And there's a lot of entertainment even when our teams are down and we have to watch other teams. <laughs> so and we're in that same well, spot right now for our team. Well, in an effort to not appear biased, I'll, I'll go with uh, Joe Burrow's LSU team. Those guys beat everybody. That was an impressive season they had. Um, yeah, so they, they have to be mentioned. Now, am I going to say they are definitely number one? Not at this time, but they deserve consideration. Yeah, that's easily a great choice. It's still fresh in people's memories. The numbers they put up that year, Joe Burrow coming in. His second season – Coming from Ohio State, he left when Justin Fields went to Ohio State from Georgia. He comes to LSU, had a solid first year, but his second year, forget about it. That's what made him the number one pick overall in the NFL draft. And we're seeing now in the NFL, there was no fluke involved. Exactly. This guy can play football. There's no question yeah, about definitely. that. But the yeah. players on that team, I mean, 
the ones that obviously stand out, Jamar Chase, who's doing excellent in the NFL right now, and Justin Jefferson, those two wide receivers were putting up NFL numbers, and the NFL was the only way they could go after a game like that or a season like that. And they're putting up NFL numbers now. Yeah, exactly. They, <laughs> look, see, and the thing about picking a team right now at that played in 2019 is that you can't say, well, they have Hall of Fame. This is how I'm going to make my decision. Like me, I'm a Canes fan, and I'm going to take that 2001 team and say that's the best college football team ever. I mean, I don't believe it's a lot of bias involved. I think there's almost a consensus there will never be 100%. But with the talent on that team, and back then in 2001, right now, we're in 2023, we can already see, well, how many Hall of Fames did they have? And we can count them out. Well, 2019, those players are in the NFL. But look, they're playing like future Hall of Famers, though. Yeah. You know, that 2001 team was a great team as well. They will get consideration. Uh, as you mentioned, they have Hall of Famers. That team was loaded uh, offensively and defensively. Oh, absolutely. I mean, everywhere. I mean, I believe that might have had the most talent on one team in terms of players who have gone on to the NFL. And now that it's been long enough, you've seen a couple of Hall of Famers come out of there. Uh, right now, I mean, Andre Johnson probably going to be a Hall of Famer from there, most likely. Frank Gore, with 16,000 yards rushing on the nose, was a true freshman in that game. He's likely going to the Hall of Fame as well. Andre Johnson, wide receiver, he's going to go to the Hall of Fame. We know that as well. It just is just a matter of when. But either way, this 2019 LSU team, they put up like ridiculous pinball game numbers and a lot of the teams that they played, with the exception of the perennial powers, were hopeless against them. I mean, Alabama kept it close against them. Auburn kept it close against them. Um, early in the season, Texas kept it close against them. So this LSU team, you know, tested. Yes, they blew teams out, and they were scoring with scored sixty points three times, fifty points or more four times. What more can you say? I mean, when you're scoring like that, there's just no way for a team to keep up with you, including Alabama, and they did. A 15-0 team, by the way. Right. And the night they won the national championship, I was telling friends, they just made a case for greatest team of all time. Um, but making the case and being definitely the greatest of all time are two different things. But for whatever the consensus is, they still have an argument if they're not number oh, one. Bro, they have but, the argument. They have a real <laughs> argument. I think the numbers right. just prove it. I mean, defensively, they were good, but offensively, that's what took the cake. Joe Burrow, I know what they, they're including bowl games, and now when you come to a situation like that, they have two bowl games that they play in, in order to get to the championship game. And so he had over 5,000 yards passing, 60 touchdowns. I mean, what more can you say? He was treating this like a high school Friday night. But anyways, they, they – and they beat Clemson, a good Clemson team. I mean, so it's not like they just walked into, you know, played an easy schedule, which they can't in the SEC, and just waltzed in there because I believe they blew out Oklahoma as well as if they never played. And then they took on Clemson and kind of picked it up from there. Yeah, it was a very impressive season for them. But since you mentioned your team, I'll mention my team. Of course. 1995 Nebraska Huskers, they beat four top ten teams including Steve Spurrier and the national championship game, 62 to 24. Yes. They were back-to-back -back champions. Um, 
I don't see anybody stopping that offense. Tommy Frazier was a master at running the option. Um, he would hold it to the very last second and pitch it, or if you didn't go after him, he went after the running back, he'd run it down your throat. Um, the, go ahead. No, look at the running backs they had, though. Look at the running backs. I well, mean, that was the year, 95 was the year after Lawrence Phillips had his problems when he was just an absolute phenom. He was still no, a phenom he, in the second he year. Was on, he was on that team. No, he was on that team, but I'm saying Amal Green was on that team. I mean, yeah, you had other running backs on that team, fullbacks averaging over six yards a carry. Fullbacks, man. In the yeah. game, in an offense that we've seen from Nebraska for decades, and where you knew where the ball was going, with the exception of Tommy Frazier being the magician he is, but everyone knows where the fullback is going because everything is played off of him and the quarterback in the defensive end. And he was still getting over six yards a carry. The fullback, I think this, uh, it was one of the Mac of Vickers. You know, you had Joel and his brother playing right. fullback, but. I think both of them had over six yards, if not one of them, and the other had over five. But they had a litany of running backs that can get the job done. My point in even saying that was Lawrence Phillips had that year the year before when he was just absolutely the best, probably the best college football player, but certainly the best running back in college football, had his issues, only played a half a season, but Amon Green already had over 1,000 yards that season as well. And ironically, Lawrence Phillips played a half a season – but they both still average 7.7 .7 yards apiece. And even though they didn't pass much, uh, the offense line did not give up a single sack all year long. That offensive line, they had been together for a few years. And I mean, they were the hogs up front. Yeah. There's no way you have multiple backs averaging six, seven yards a carry if the offensive line isn't doing their job. So that offensive line could block. They all worked well together, and I don't think Tom Osborne gets enough credit. You know, he would have he would have these faster teams chasing the running backs, and Tommy left and right all over the field, wear them down. Second half, he just pounded down your throat because they're tired from chasing, and you know he he'd wear them down. And those offensive linemen, as you said, you know what? And you have to understand the dynamic of having an offensive lineman against a primarily running team or option team at that it's easy to get a sack because all he has to do he's already behind the line of screen <laughs> when he's making a pitch so if he doesn't make that pitch he gets hit that's a sack right you know what i'm saying so it's a lot easier to get sacks against a running quarterback in the option than it is just to have your traditional quarterback dropping back being able to read try to sneak up on him and make it happen but yeah that nebraska team was something else i'll tell you tom osborne knew where to go to get that speed he had to get it together, but he did sacrifice some things to get that speed because you had to go to Florida and get some of those fast players. But also, those players that he ended up getting, well, they were also character guys as well. I mean, not even Lawrence Phillips, but, you know, character guys like a lot of teams that want to be good have. It just happens. A lot of the talented guys have been entitled guys their entire lives because of their athletic ability. Well, it doesn't change when they get to college and they deliver. They just happened to be on a large scale at Nebraska, and they made it happen. I picked Florida in that game. I thought all of these Florida boys are going to take care of Nebraska. It should be this. You should have known from the year before when they went to a, to the Orange Bowl. And that's my other point. <laughs> I'm struggling <laughs> with it. I tell you what, when I look at the when I look at the Florida boy, I'm like, these Florida boys can play football because, in my opinion, I'm not even from Florida, but for my opinion, for my uh, my opinion, Miami. 
Florida, the entire state of Florida has the best football players, bar none, in the entire country. And of course, there is Texas, and of course, there is California, and even smaller states like Georgia, smaller states like Alabama. But when you look at the state of Florida, the three flagship schools before these other schools became real entities like UCF and South Florida and FIU and FAU, you had those three schools. And between those three schools, even up until this date, which makes it 40 years, 2023, from the Miami Hurricanes winning their championship in 1983, 40 years, you have 11 championships <clears throat> between those three teams. Florida, Florida State, and Miami, the majority of those rosters coming from the state of Florida, it speaks for itself. Texas has a roster full of Texans. They only have two championships in 69. I mean, it speaks for itself. But yeah, Florida's a hotbed. Florida is definitely a hotbed. Um, <clears throat> but going back to Dr. Tom, and you mentioned 1983, how many coaches would have the balls to go for two with the game on yeah. the line, knowing that a tie virtually guarantees you the national championship? You know what? That's a competitor in him. He, he believed that his players, his players, they didn't let him down. It didn't happen, but I don't believe they let him down. They gave everything they had. They just played an upstart Miami Hurricane team, and we eventually saw what they had become, a dynasty for the 80s in particular. But you know what? I think he had enough goodwill in the bank to pull something like that off because he did win in 1971, the Johnny Rogers game, Heisman championship game. So he needed to win. Yeah. Well, he was the offensive coordinator back then. He wasn't the head coach. No, he wasn't the head coach. But being the, co the head coach, I think he had goodwill. Be you know how it is with these schools like that. The legacy of either, if you're an offensive coordinator picking up for a co uh, head coach that left, you get a little bit of that goodwill moving forward, especially if you've been part of a championship or a legacy or, or a winning tradition. I mean, kind of like a guy like Larry Coker, for instance. I mean, Bush Davis leaves. He creates this Miami monster. It's all his team. And Larry Coker just comes in, and he's just kind of like the babysitter as the players run the asylum. And that's exactly what happened. And he got more goodwill than he deserved when all of it started falling apart. And ultimately, he got fired because it wasn't the Miami way and hasn't been for like the last 20-some-odd years now. But still, I mean, I think that's what Tom Osborne had that goodwill from being the uh, uh, offensive coordinator there, moving on, playing Miami. And he could take, you know, believing in his players, and wanted to win the way they wanted to win, not a tie. It's something to the something. There's something to be said about the ego when you want that one point more or two points more than your opponent, rather than having a tie, and you would have gotten the same result. Yeah, I mean, who wants to tie? Um, you can only respect his decision to go for two, because if they don't go for two and they kick the extra point, they become national champions. He's always going to question, but what if I went for two? We would have had an undefeated season. You know, that would always be in the back of his mind. Yeah. So I think to him, it wasn't worth kicking the extra point. He didn't want to have any regrets. And you can know, you got to respect that. Yeah. Well, you know what? Look how it played out for him. Three championships in the 90s. It all worked out in 94, 95, and in 97. I mean, he had a heck of a run. You know, to, and to, I don't know if he got run out of town, but nevertheless, Nebraska, I can understand that being the argument, being your team. I will take my <laughs> Canes over that team, even though in 94, they beat those Canes with Warren Sapp and Ray Lewis. So I understand. Yeah. 
like like I mentioned, they were back to back champs. They went into the Orange Bowl and beat uh, Miami. Like as you mentioned, Warren Sapp, Ray Lewis was also on that team. Um, one of the more interesting things that came out of that game, if people recall, Tom Osborne inserted Brooke Berenger into the game, mm-hmm. and he had said he was going to play both before the game that both would play, but Tommy started and then he came back at the end. And uh, legend has it, Warren Sapp was was talking crap to him, saying, hey, Tommy, where you been? Tommy, where you been? <laughs> and Tommy said, don't worry about it, fat boy. It ain't where I've been. It's where I'm going. And he, led the, he led the offense to two straight touchdowns and the lead. And, you know, the rest is history. And with Miami's special circumstances of being able to play a bowl game in their home stadium of the old OB, the Orange Bowl, which isn't there anymore, I mean, they had that. I mean, they were they, they was able to hang with them, and they lost. But nevertheless, I mean, Nebraska, I, I can respect that Nebraska team, even though I've always rooted against them because they were not Florida boys, and I've been a Kane fan forever. But you have to respect a team like that and playing against Florida the following season and seeing that run that Tommy Frazier had against Florida. I mean, that's that was other-level run. That's a perhaps the greatest play, I believe, in all of college football history, I believe that might be the greatest play. I can't think right now off the top of my head what play could have been a better play than that. Yeah, it has to be up there. You know, I, I'm, I don't want to talk about it too much. You know, I got the Husker hat on, the Husker shirt. Yeah. I'm going to say, oh, he's just a Husker lover or but whatever. You're telling you're telling, you're saying what happened. I mean, being a, <laughs> watch the play. No, but I, if I say it's the best play of all time, you know, it's different if you say it. So yeah. I'll just let you say it. Well, you know what? As far as plays I can remember right now, see, if someone brought up a whole bunch of plays and I'll have to check it out, then I can say, you know what, this may not be, but I still think for all it was worth and looking at the entire scope of what was going on, the circumstances of Florida being favored in that game, the old ball coach and all of that going on. <laughs> I mean, you're talking about Danny Waffle, you know, winning the Heisman. You're talking about Rito Anthony, you talk Ike Hilliard catching the ball. I mean, they had a lot of players out there that were explosive players. I think Elijah Williams was their top running back that year. Um, they just, they had it all. And they just got run out of the building. I remember when during some of the pregame hype and the defensive linemen were just playing around thinking Nebraska wasn't much of anything. That made me feel at ease as, you know what? They may not be everything. And I wanted a little bit of revenge from the, the Canes anyway, but and I can't <laughs> spare the Gators for people who want to know or don't want to know. I don't like the Gators and I have my reasons. But nevertheless, I thought that the Florida Gators shouldn't have that much of a problem. Another slow team from the Midwest. Little did we know, even after beating Miami the previous year, they were loaded with Floridians and other fast players, and they handled their business that night. Yeah. Uh, Tom had had gone into Florida and Texas and California to fill the gaps uh, where he needed speed. <clears throat> and, you know, he – he got Lawrence Phillips from California. Um, he uh, he he realized in the late '80s, early '90s, he needed more speed because they're getting beat by Florida State and Miami. Mm-hmm. And so he went out and got it, and you know the rest is history. But also early in that season, they uh, they went into Michigan State and they took. Nick Coach Saban. Saban. Yeah, they took, took Coach Saban in the back. Took him out back behind the woodshed. <laughs> he did sure I can't, I can't remember if it was 49 to 7 or 52 to 7. 
they Something both like raised that, money. Yeah. And that's when Nick Saban had to cut his teeth in real college football. You know, he picked up from where George Perlis was the former coach at Michigan State. And he didn't do a good job and give first impressions when that happened. You know, ultimately, we know Nick Saban for who he is right now. But he had to get out of the Big Ten in order to prove it at LSU and now Alabama. So, I mean, that, that was a, a, a big-time Nebraska team defensively. Uh, you had Grant Ristrom there, right? And Grant Ristrom, I think, led the defense that year. And there was a couple other guys in that defense that I can't remember right now. Uh, yeah, Grant, Grant Wistrom was a sophomore that season. Um, they had Terrell Farley. Terrell Farley, yeah, I remember him. Yeah, Terrell Farley was uh, – he would wreak havoc. He would cause a lot of uh, turnovers, get in the backfield. Um, they also had uh, – his first name escapes me, the cornerback, Williams. He played for the Packers. I know they had Mike Mentor also at cornerback, didn't they? Mike Mentor was a safety, yeah. Yeah, Mike, he was in the second in the secondary. So I could have sworn he was a corner, though. But you know what? Not no. for me to know. That's your team. <laughs> no, he, was a, he, played, he played safety. But you know what? They were also known. The black shirt defense was known. It was a known entity at Nebraska. The black shirt defense made a name for itself, and it was a stifling defense. It wasn't just the big offensive linemen shoving down your throat. Nebraska I formation play anymore. It was the defense that was kind of leading the way. The offense just happened to be explosive because they had about 10 running backs on the roster all getting touches. <laughs> yeah. All of them getting that, touches. As I mentioned, that offensive line. And, you know, back then they had more scholarships and yeah. Nebraska was winning by large margins. And so they were able to develop younger players. If you're up, 42 to 10 in the third quarter, you can put in your second string, your third string players, let them get some actual game time. So by the time those sophomores become juniors and seniors, you know, they have a lot of experience. And I think that's what was going on back then. Yeah, I mean, what what changed between what they've been doing and not working from playing Miami in 1983 and, not, and losing the championship <clears throat> game? Moving forward, doing the same recruiting, I think the change was going after the faster guys. Now, it sounds easier said than done, and it probably is easier said than done. And they went to Texas, which is a fast state, and I think a lot of those schools in the Midwest do come to Texas. Texas does have those fast players. Nebraska goes there. We know about Brian Bothworth coming from Texas, going to Oklahoma. Kansas has their Oklahoma, their Texas players. Texas players are almost everywhere in that Midwest in particular. And then they have to share those players with other schools in the state of Texas. I mean, even from the bad teams like Rice to the great teams like Texas and Texas A&M. Yeah, so I believe what happened was their recruiting dropped off after after Tom Osborne retired. Frank Solich, he had some respectable teams, didn't have any losing seasons, but he wasn't getting the, the caliber player that, that Osborne was bringing in. And then he got fired. They brought in Callahan, and I don't, I can't, I can't speak on what happened there. It just went south. Really quick. Yeah, it just, it just didn't work. And they've been trying to recover ever since. Unfortunately, he, he, uh, Callahan, Bill Callahan came in, and he tried to introduce the forward pass to Lincoln, Nebraska. After all of these years of the I formation, I believe that year during their spring game, they had an upwards of sixty thousand people in awe at the ball going forward and not a running back advancing it. So it was something new to them. 
And so uh, they showed up for that. They were, the innovation and all that they was expecting never panned out. Callahan ends up getting fired like he's been fired before the NFL. And, and they've been pretty much in limbo ever since. I've always thought that they did not get that pipeline to Florida, in particular, in my opinion. I mean, Tommy Frazier was the linchpin coming from Florida, really coming over there and becoming the player he became and, you know, being the catalyst that just started everything the way it was. And now with Florida, as I already mentioned earlier, not only the big three schools going after those players, we now have the smaller schools like UCF, the University of Central Florida, Florida International, FIU, Florida Atlantic University, FAU, and then, you know, and, you know all of these other little schools like Bethune-Cookman, uh, Florida A&M, they're all coming for these players in the state of Florida. And then you have the vultures from outside the state coming and getting those top players as well. As your Nebraska Huskers are vultures right now, stealing from Florida right now, Matt Rule. Yeah, he's doing a good job throwing the net across the nation and grabbing a few guys from here, a few guys from there. And hopefully those Florida uh, uh, athletes will come in and, and make an impact. As you mentioned in past uh, shows, they have Willis McGahee the fourth. They just signed uh, – they haven't signed him, but got a commitment from uh, a four-star receiver. Jacoby so, Barney mm-hmm. out of Miami. <laughs> <laughs> so that, so Matt, that's the Matt, part about it. That's the- Matt Rule's doing some things that Scott Frost either didn't or wouldn't, and I, I, I think it's going to make a difference. Scott I, I don't know. I don't understand it either. It, I, you know what? And I checked Nebraska's roster. There were a litany of Floridians on that team. I believe the caliber of those Floridians wasn't what Miami, Florida State, and Florida has. I mean, <laughs> Miami right now, not really. But it's not the premier players. Schools outside of the state of Florida are still getting those top players. Usually these players, the top players, might have considered Miami, Florida, state of Florida. But these mercenaries, as I've always called them here in Florida, they'll go anywhere. You know what I mean? Mike Williams went from Tampa all the way out there to California with uh, Carson, Carson Palmer at USC. So we have mercenaries here, whereas a lot of schools like states like Texas, a lot of those top players, they usually stay in Texas. They either go to Texas or Texas A&M. Some of them get out, but for the most part, those players stay in the state of Texas. And Alabama, it's a smaller state, a smaller pool of talent to pick from. They typically stay in the state of Alabama. Georgia as well. Florida, I believe, are the biggest mercenaries. These kids here will go anywhere. They don't have real loyalty to the schools. Yes, some of them do, but the majority of them have proven they don't. Right. You mentioned Georgia. That's where Terrell, Terrell Farley's from. He came from junior college to Nebraska, but, you know, he's from Georgia. And I just remember who the cornerback was, uh, Michael Booker. Michael Booker, his cornerback? Cornerback, yeah. cornerback. Oh, corner. Michael Booker, oh, I about to say yeah, cornerback. You no, know, back up for the 95 team. For the 95 he had, he had a couple interceptions against the uh, Gators. Well, the way they threw the ball around that year, I mean, you're bound to get some interceptions, as we know. It was all about timing with the old ball coach, and it was all about not necessarily having a strong arm, which Danny Warfel did not have, so the timing was really needed. Chris Doring, I believe, was their number one receiver that year. In fact, um, I think he was the one who saved Florida against that upset at Kentucky in the beginning of the season. I believe that might have been it or it might have been the year before, but nevertheless, that's Chris Doring. You know, he's a, a Gator legend, if you want to say that. But going back to the guy that was just stolen out of Florida, Jacory Barney, uh, that that's you know 
that's a huge deal. He comes out of Miami Palmetto High School, and the reason why it's a big deal is kind of sort of the same way Willis McGahee IV came out of Miami too, but Columbus High School, and it's an issue because Mario Cristobal, the head coach of Miami, that's his alma mater, Columbus High School, an old private school down in Miami. You would think that he would keep a play like that in addition to McGahee IV being a legacy player as his father has played for the Miami Hurricanes before leaving to go to the NFL. So that leads me to believe this. If Matt Rule may be that good a recruiter, but in my opinion, not even any bias, I believe Mario Cristobal may be the better recruiter. So in that case, I don't think in his opinion it was worth keeping a guy like that or at least fighting for a guy like that, McGahee the fourth, going to Nebraska. Not saying that he won't be a good player, but I guess in Cristobal and his staff's eye, he probably wasn't worth fighting for for the long term. So they didn't mind him leaving him. Not that they didn't mind, but he ended up going to Matt Rule. They probably told him something different in recruiting. You might not start until your junior year, something like that, or you might not get an opportunity in your freshman year, or you may have to redshirt. He might not have to do that in Nebraska. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't there. You weren't there, so we don't know exactly what he was told. But, you know, that could be a dangerous game because once – if McGahey goes and some younger teammates – yeah. Hey, how is it out there in Nebraska? Oh, man, it's beautiful. You're going to love it. Come out here. Come with me. And next thing you know, there's a pipeline. You know what? There's been some Twitter battles, if you haven't seen, over the past couple of days between Miami fans and Nebraska fans. Miami <laughs> fans disparaging Nebraska. When do you want to go out there in those cornfields, blah, blah, blah? You don't want to stay in the beaches. And he still went. Jacory Barney, and it, you know, it became an issue after Ja'Cory Barney decided to go to Nebraska. It gets nasty in recruiting. I've been around the recruiting game for literally decades now. I see so how it can get. I saw when it, there was just message boards and there weren't things like <laughs> other social media. It was bad then. Just Keep making stories. Boys. Yeah, <laughs> the stone age of, of the digital age and of social media. And these people would just make up stories along the way and you would rely on someone like Tom Lemming or whoever was out there, Bino Cook, if he talked about high school recruiting on occasion. You know, now everybody's a high school recruiting expert, allegedly, and there are so many things <laughs> out there that give you excellent information, like ESPN, like Rivals, at 24-7. You know, they do it right. But, yeah, losing a four-star receiver does matter. That's a huge loss for Miami. You know, some kids just might want to get away from home. They want to see what the world is like. And, you know, with the transfer portal, Nothing's guaranteed. These guys may be there one, two years, maybe. Hey, one or two years, one or two months. That's the way <laughs> the transfer portal is here now. That's true, too. Man, if you look at what happened with Texas A&M last year after the recruiting, we thought they had the greatest recruiting class of all time. In fact, I think someone said that more than once. And when I looked at it, I started thinking about past recruiting classes I've seen from teams, and it didn't come close to what Texas A&M had done. I mean, between the transfer portal and also the NIL, so much of that Texas money, man, they had an NFL team, a future NFL team. They were comparing a lot of these players on this Texas a roster to NFL players as they were coming in before they took a snap. <laughs> now look at that roster. Those guys, those guys left, left and right. They just decided, you know what, Texas A&M isn't for me. So now that class is not what it once was by a long shot. Besides that, they didn't even deliver last season. Yeah, and speaking of NIL, you know who who's feeling pretty frustrated right now? All of, all of those SMU boosters and coaches <laughs> and all that you know everything they were doing to get the top players to 
to go down there, and they ended up getting the death penalty. And now, you know, look, everything's wide open. Players can get paid off their NIL name, image, and likeness. And, you know, SMU still can't make it back. It, it was the casualties of the times. That's it. It was a casualty of the times. You know what? They, you know what they would do under the rules that were in place back then. They tried to circumvent those rules. <laughs> there were other teams out there we know did the same thing. I remember Eric Dickinson talking about that seventy grand in cash in a briefcase that he had gotten during the recruiting, and he decided not to take it. Why? Because you got a bigger offer at SMU. That's probably the case. Now that we know what happened, I mean, all of the players with the dots and two eighty ZXs back then. I mean, <laughs> it was an issue. They got the death penalty. They got their program shut down for two years. And they did not recover until recently. And I mean, recently in the past 10 years or so, 10, maybe 12 years. And I mean, recovering from what they once were, not going back to the 10-win team or 11-win team they used to be, at least getting five wins to eight wins is what they're doing now. Right. You know, it's been a long struggle for them. And what what can we say? It's just coming back from the death penalty has got to be real, real difficult. The, you know what? Just like human beings, they ain't coming back either from the death penalty once they get <laughs> once the execution starts. They got it. And so, you know, we talking college football right now. We were hoping that you joined us on in this conversation, getting the chances to talk about who you thought were the best teams in college football. Not necessarily right now, just period. I mean, I don't think you need to go all the way back to the 1800s and talk about Yale's 18 national championships or punch Hufflefinger playing i mean come on <laughs> for real and the reason why i even know this guy's name i'm not games four horsemen you know exactly and the reason why i even know pudge's name for the most part because i've heard it in history but the reason why i even have some context is because of burt sugar the boxing guy he said he <laughs> met him when he was a kid bro this dude is old and dead <laughs> if burt sugar was a kid meeting this guy come on man he's like i was about yeah. 13 years old and met pudge bro Come on. Yeah. The guy was born in the 1800s because he played in the 1800s. One of the greatest players of all time back then. <laughs> right. And it's hard to compare players from back then. I mean, you look at film and, and the film is fuzzy and they they look like their their feet are moving a thousand miles an hour, but they're not <laughs> like a cartoon. too far, you know. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's hard to say. Now, I'm wondering 100 years from now, the Alabama teams that we look at or even this LSU team we've talked about or even the Miami Hurricanes of 2001, will someone 100 years from now be like, yo, bro, those guys ain't that good after all? (laughs) That's that's crazy crazy to imagine. Or Georgia. I mean, they're back-to-back champs now. (laughs) And and defensively, you know what? They don't get enough credit defensively or, you know, um, well, I think they get a lot of credit defensively is offensively because, uh, you know, uh, what was their quarterback? Uh, Stetson Bennett, walk on, a walk on, and who wasn't supposed to be a starting quarterback, but he wins back-to-back championships. And you still hear people talking about how bad a quarterback he is, and he has his opportunity at the NFL. It may not work out to being a starter or anything else, but the dude still has a chance to play. I mean, Chris Winkie came out as a grandfather too, and he went into the <laughs> NFL. Didn't have a great career, but he had his opportunity. Right. Let's see what he does. You can say he's this or he's not that, but he won. So just tip your hat. You know what? And a lot of games, I've watched a lot of games that he played in. And the reason why they won a lot of times when it was tight, it was because of him. 
his decision making. There were times when he made bad throws, and you're like, man, he did walk on probably yesterday. <laughs> but then there were times when this guy looked like the veteran and looked like a five star player, blue chip player, and he his speed was so underrated. You know, before you know it, this guy's got 60 yards on you heading towards the end zone, and you can't catch up to him. And then you still have to worry about the running backs that Georgia has, which they have every single year. Now the wide receivers, now they're tied in. I mean, it doesn't end with these guys. And then defensively, we've already spoken about that. The NFL is filled with Georgia boy. Yeah, speed kills. Speed kills. And we just have to see if Georgia can keep it up. You know, Bama had their run. Georgia's in the middle of their run. Dabo Sweeney and Clemson, they had their little run. They're trying to come back. It's going to be real interesting this year. Now, I wonder with Carson Beck, do they get a chance to three-peat? It's going to be difficult. We know that because this is Carson Beck's first time starting, but he ha does have some experience and some garbage time. You know, I've watched him here personally in Jacksonville coming from Mandarin High School, which is pretty much a suburb of Jacksonville. But nevertheless, he was a good player. He's up there now. We'll see how it works out. And, you know, some Jacksonville players have gone well, done well in the SEC in the past. Matt Jones in particular, another player from here in Jacksonville. I had a chance to watch him at Bowles High School. You know, and even though I'm not a Patriots fan, I root for the guy because I've watched him as a kid. Come on. And I saw him at Alabama in the beginning, and I was like, this guy's terrible. But then he got it together in his senior year when he needed to, became a Heisman Trophy candidate at least, and now he's in the NFL. I mean – had a good first year. <laughs> How are you going to do it? So we continue <clears throat> to talk about college football right now. We asked about the best teams that we believe are the best team in, in college football history. He has Nebraska, not because he's biased. I had Miami because I'm biased and it's true. But Well, I, I mean, I put it like this. If you ask me who the GOAT in, in basketball is, I always say there's three at the top. Rank them however you want, and I won't argue. Kareem will – Kareem Wilt and MJ. After that, there's somebody missing. <laughs> I'm not even gonna go there, man. We're not Kareem gonna ruin the show with that. <laughs> Kareem Wilt and MJ. Um, you know, and people can say, "Oh, Russell beat Wilt all these times." But look how many Hall of Famers Russell had with him. Exactly. And, and you put Russell on, on any other team without all those Hall of Famers, he does not get all of those rings. Come on, let's be real. Will with a Will Will average fifty a game, um, one season. He averaged he averaged more than ten assists a game. I mean, the guy could do it all. So yep. he's up there, top three. The rest, I'm not gonna argue. If you want LeBron four, if you want Magic four, Kobe four, go for it. But you already, I know. gave you my top three. You already know. A lot of people want LeBron number one or two. <laughs> so you don't even have him in the top three. So that's gonna cause some dissension to you some can't be, you can't be you can't be the GOAT if you don't want to take the last shot because you're afraid to get fouled and go to the free throw line. You know what? End of story. I don't want to hear nothing else. Great point. You know, Great Nick Wrong can say Nick Wrong can say, explain to me how Jordan's the <laughs> GOAT wrong, without mentioning six rings. Well, explain to me how LeBron is the GOAT without talking about his suspect free throw shooting. Wow. You know what? Yeah, Nick wrong. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's picked up a, a nice contingent of, of people who don't really like him along the way as well. I, I, don't, like, I don't have anything against him. It's just... Some people have these LeBron love. He, he, he's, a, oh, he's, a, he's a step below Skip as far as saying things for effect. Wow. 
Well, yeah, Skip Skip has done it for a long time. Him and that uh, what's that guy? That guy on um around the horn, Woody, whatever his name was, from the Denver Post. Yeah, oh, they're yeah. all yeah, they're all about that trigger thing, and nothing's happening organically with anger or really just showing some dissension. It's always some manufactured thing to throw out there to understand it's part of the business, and you try to disguise it, and you hope you suck people in before they notice it, the disguise. But either way you look at it, we talked about some of the teams, as I've already mentioned. What about a player, any particular player that you really, really like and is your favorite player? Do you have one or two? I don't even think I've thought about one really right now as far as college football goes. Growing up, I used to love to watch Eric Dickerson run the ball for SMU. You know, he was big and, and fast, and he, I used to, he's one of those guys I, I watched. Um, that's how I know about SMU. Um, you know, the Pony Express, Craig James, those teams were uh, pretty uh, powerful uh, on offense. I'm trying not to be too predictable about it because I'm saying Barry Sanders and come on, man. I mean, I could, I, you know, I say the same thing about the NFL. He's my one A, my one and one A as far as my favorite two NFL players. And as you probably may or may not know, the number one guy is Vinny Testaverde for people who don't know and probably want to excoriate me for saying it. But, but either way, Barry Sanders as a collegiate player, forget about it. I mean, over 1,500 yards in five games. The, they call it the tour de force back when it was the big eight. And there were actually teams in there with the exception of Iowa State and, and Missouri back then that were doggone good teams, especially those Nebraska teams. They didn't change with him. He did well against Colorado. He did well against Nebraska. He played and tough against Oklahoma. Oklahoma. I mean, Barry said he was tough against Oklahoma. Yeah, I remember watching Barry, but I wasn't too much of a fan being that he was in the same conference as my team. <laughs> yeah, it's a prank. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't enjoy him, you know, running for 200 yards and three touchdowns. Um, you know, my favorite all time is Tommy Frazier, but we're going to go another direction tonight. Um, so I mentioned Dickerson. I used to love to watch Marshall Falk run the ball for San Diego oh, State, too. You know what? Marshall Falk was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, he was. And he just came out of the woodwork and decided that he was going to be the best player in the WAC. Now, I teased the WAC from back in the day because of the Swiss cheese defense that they had. <laughs> that had nothing to do with what Marshall Falk was doing. Of course, they had horrible teams out there. But I remember when he played in his second game, he had nearly 400 yards rushing, over 30 carries. And he did it against Pacific. People laugh at Pacific because they were not a good team and that they were not a good team. But they had a fun team to watch. They had a quarterback named Troy Cop. He was about 6'1", 210 pounds. He used to sling it around. But his defense would have him on the field right away. And he will just sling it around again because the defense was that horrible. He had a little running back, a little 5'7 guy named Ryan Benjamin. He used to hand it off to him. <clears throat> Ryan Benjamin was averaging 60 yards a pop. So it was fun to watch. They just weren't getting any wins out of it. But Marshall Falk ran through them. And I remember watching Marshall Falk and wondering, is it because of the whack defenses? The only team he really has to go against is BYU, and it would be a shootout anyway, so he's still he's still going to get his yards. And then he played Miami. Mm -hmm. They got over 100 yards on them. So now I'm like, you know what? There may be something to this story. Yeah, he was, <laughs> he was definitely the goods. Yeah, no, no question about it. And the ironic part was he wanted to go to Miami, but they wanted him to be a defensive back. And as it goes <laughs> with a lot of these players, they don't get the position they want, so they go somewhere else. And he went to San Diego State. The same thing with Steve McNair. He wanted to play uh, quarterback, but schools that recruited him, the top schools, wanted him as a defensive back or a running back. 
and he wanted to stay. You know, he ended up staying at Alcorn State, nearly winning a Heisman, becoming the third pick overall in the draft. So a lot of times that these schools think they know what's best for you, you bet on yourself, and you come out like Marshall Falk or even Steve McNair. At least yeah, I mean, like Steve McNair, not the way things happen personally. Yeah, Gail Sayers is from Nebraska, but he went to play at Kansas. Did he want to play any particular position that Nebraska I don't, didn't want him to play? I don't know the background story. Uh, you know, recruiting wasn't big back then, at least stories about recruiting. And I've never heard of, heard him talk about why he didn't stay home and why he went to Kansas. I just know he's from Nebraska and went to Kansas. Yeah. Um, now, on the defensive defensive side, uh, I used to love watching T-Buck for the, for the Seminoles. That was my boy, man. He 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 had some great interceptions. He tried to lock people down. Yeah, he was a lot of fun to watch. He returned punts. Yeah. He, 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 was, was, a, he was like a baby primetime. About to say, they thought he was going to be primetime. He he did a lot of those things. You know what? Work done is also another play. Even though I'm a Canes fan, there's just some players you just respect the hell out of. Work done is one of those players. Being that oh, when he came to school, he was about 155 pounds coming out of high school. He wanted the red shirt. He was at the school he wanted to be, and he wanted the red shirt. Bobby Bowden saw him in the scrimmage. was like, yo, bro, I don't care how small you are. We're going to run you until you either die or prove me wrong. So he went out there, and as he saw, the way things turned out, he was down the depth chart for a little while. I think Tiger McMillan, one of the running backs that was there, and Marquette Smith, who I remember from 1990, the Gatorade Offensive Player of the Year, along with Derrick Brooks being the defensive player of the year and both of them going to Florida State. That's the kind of recruiting they were doing. <laughs> and he beats them out and becomes Warwick Dunn, in my opinion, including Dalvin Cook, the greatest seminal running back of all time. Yeah, and Warwick, Warwick was great out of the backfield. He would catch a lot of balls. And, That's Florida. That's Florida. And, 83 and break, yards later. Yeah, yeah he'd break ankles. Yeah, yeah, Warwick Dunn was fun to watch too. Yeah, so he's definitely somebody I really like. But there's just so many players I've seen over the decades. Rocket Ishmael, another player I'm not supposed to like because I despise <laughs> Notre Dame. But, bro, what he did on the football field in college, I hated him every minute of the day. But I like him. That now. was no clip against Colorado, man. That was no clip. You know what? I, I Bro, I didn't like them, so I like the clip. And when I see it now, I still see a clip. <laughs> so, yeah, they won the game. Yeah. And Colorado, they split the championship that year with Georgia Tech. All is good. There's no game. There's no clip in that '93 bowl game either. Florida State against Nebraska. Corey Dixon ran that back. There was no clip. A phantom clip call. And that irony there is Nebraska wasn't even supposed to play Florida State that close. That Florida State team was blowing everybody out, with the exception of losing to Notre Dame. And then Notre Dame choking themselves the following week against Boston College. Boston College and Pete Mitchell having a game for the ages at tight end. And that's the reason why Tom Coughlin loved that guy ever since. When he came to the Jaguars, Tom Coughlin as a coach, he brought Pete Mitchell around too. So, but anyways. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the Seminoles were like 15, 16-point favorites. Yeah, they were 18, 16. They were, they were huge underdogs. I mean, uh, um, Nebraska were huge underdogs, and it came down to a freaking field goal. I was surprised. I was shocked. You know what? And I wasn't betting that game, by the way. I bet other games. That <laughs> game I didn't bet. You know what I mean? Because I was like, yeah, that's a lot of points. I think they should cover, but glad I did it. So we finished our show for today, and we saw that no one showed up. 
That's why we don't have live streams. You got to show up. You have to participate and have the conversation for us. But I'm sure you will be getting this in a recorded version so you can comment on the show. I'm sure there's some things that might have been said that you probably agree with or disagree with. College football fans, if nothing else, are very passionate about what they think, see, or want people to understand. Regardless if it's true or not, it'll make sense. They want you to understand their version. Well, we have this version for you out here right now. Drive and buy yeah. Let me say something right quick. Yeah. If you think we we talked about too much Nebraska today, well, you should have brought your ass in here to suggest other things to talk about. And that's that. Exactly. <laughs> that's why we wanted to have the conversation. We're diverse enough to talk about more than our favorite teams. We needed you to help with the conversation. And we did kind of leave that a little bit. We did talk a little bit about LSU and their championship team. You know, it just happens to be when it comes down to some of the greatest teams of all time in college football, Nebraska of uh, 1995 and 94 and that Miami Hurricane team of 2001, they're going to be in everyone's argument. They may be in everyone's top 10, maybe even top five. So we could Paul Feinbaum. You know, you know who Paul Feinbaum oh, said? Feinbaum. He's a, he's a guy in the South when it comes to college football. Yeah, and he said 95 Nebraska. See, he used to be a guy when it came to college football. <laughs> 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 On that note, Paul Feinbaum, because as they call him down here, Paul, we're going to catch you on episode 23, which will be on Monday. As you know, Friday is our weekend. So our weekend begins after this show. So we won't be around on Friday. Back on Monday with a whole litany of sports because there's sure to be something going on in the entire world of sports. Even more football as training camps come closer and closer and SEC Media Day, ACC Media Day. Pac-12 Media Day, Big 12, Big 10. It's all coming right around the corner. I'll try if he's biased. We're signing out. Peace. Peace.